I think I really learned how to manage myself there. So just in terms of the, the high expectations, uh, which constantly are growing uh, with your career, it's, I think it's essential to really manage yourself well. And without that kind of managing myself well, I would never have come to the kind of running heights I was at while being a senior leader at uh, at Codes or at Woolworths. So I just carved out time and, and I just knew it's still possible. It's not like everybody says I don't have time to run, whereas I knew, well, I don't have time not to run and it's possible. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it's RJ Singh here from Ultra Habits and I am super stoked that you are joining us on this week's episode. We are talking to Kai Bretz. Kai is a corporate leader with over 15 years of corporate experience in more than a dozen countries. He was an associate principal at McKinsey & Company. He's an elite ultramarathon runner as well, having run 24-hour events in a host of ultramarathons to the tune of 250 kilometers and beyond. Now, it takes a special kind of ultramarathon runner to run beyond 100 miles, and Kai is definitely one of those guys. He's also an explorer as well, and what Kai has been able to do is take all these disciplines, corporate leadership, being an elite athlete, an explorer, and put it together to now help organizations with their team development. He does it all out in the elements, and we unpack what that means and what that actually looks like. Kai's recently written a book called Turning Right, where he talks about well, effectively writes about all his experiences and how all the things he's done in the world of corporate, in the world of ultra, and his exploration has helped him evolve as an individual and as a business leader and ultimately as someone that can help teams out there get better. Kai, you know, he's a really interesting character. Anyone that runs that far is We talk about some of his recent races, particularly the Delirious in Western Australia, which is a very, very long run in the WA trails, and it's quite hot. I think this was his second time running that race, and he got lost, and we talk about what that experience was like being lost out in the middle of nowhere at nighttime in the bush, couldn't even move. He was so deep in the bush, snakes everywhere, and ultimately had to release his GPS satellite to get found, and There were learnings in that race for him, like every other race that he's had, and we talk about that in great depth. So, folks, I hope you really enjoy this episode. Do let us know what you think. Rate this podcast, and if you haven't already, go to the website at www.ultrahabits.co and sign up for the newsletter where you will get exclusive content to habits. As you know, I am on the road to the Guinness Book World Records, and things are getting quite hectic with the training, with the business, with the podcast and family, and it's taken some pretty heavy-duty structure and some good habits to sustain me, and I, you know, I share that with you because, um, yeah, I hope that maybe you'll find some value in and be able to implement some of those habits in your own lives. Anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Kai. Peace.
Hi, welcome to Ultra Habits, man. It is great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, not often do I actually have people in my own city and time zone on the, the show. So it's it, this is rare and it's quite nice, I guess, to have a local Marburnian with me uh, today. Absolutely. Same same here. It's great to be in Melbourne and right now to, to have this conversation here. Yeah, Kai. So I recently came across a, a post of yours. I know that you've published a book and I know Leslie from the, the publishing company and I saw some posts that she did and then you were more recently on a friend of mine's podcast the mankind project with Brandon Cliff and I realized like I thought I knew kind of most of the ultra endurance community particularly in the corporate sector and I was like who's this guy Kai and then I dove into your story and the post was about delirious uh the 200 miler in in wa and i i think that's a good place to to start so that was a race that you had recently done it was a post that i saw and for our audience that most of them wouldn't know what that race is about can you can you kind of unpack what that race is about and actually what happened absolutely so delirious west is a 200 miler in uh western australia so, um, and you get some extra kilometers, miles uh, on top of the 200. So it adds up to be around about 340 kilometers nonstop uh, on the Bibbulmun track. So it's all trail, heaps of heaps of snakes there, uh, a lot of sand and sand dunes later on in the course. And it's a beautiful race, which I did in its first year in 2019. So just uh, the year before the big pandemic hit, uh, when life was still normal. And that year I came second in that race. And now um, I think straight away I, I signed up to go again. And somehow it, it took another four years to, to be there. Mm. So here, here I was in from North Cliff, which is a little town in the middle of nowhere in, uh, in Western Australia on this trail and heading out, heading out onto, onto this race where last time around it took me 68 hours. So, and in those 68 hours, that time I slept around about two hours. Some competitors uh, don't sleep at all. Others others you make use out of the sleep stations, which are along the way. So you you can sleep if you want to. But really important in that kind of race format, the the, the clock never stops. So uh, which also means sleep is somewhat part of the strategy, uh, if you can call it that. And certainly it's it's not easy to sleep when you know the clock is ticking. So it's not easy to run, uh, arrive at a at an at an aid station and say, now I'll sleep because um, well, whoever has tried to sleep uh, just by, by telling them go to sleep, well good luck. Long story short, this race it went really well in the um on that first day. The the weather was was better than expected in terms of not too hot. I was, uh, the sun was going down, uh, we were 100 odd kilometers in, uh, I was hitting the beach, so the beach section was coming up with lots of sand, which I was, uh, I think I'm pretty good at running on sand, and uh, it was getting dark, and I got lost. So I was two two hours in front of everybody else, extremely, um, in, in really good shape, I hadn't overexerted myself. I tried to get off that beach in the dark with no footsteps in front of me, obviously, because I was the leading guy. And I just could not find the trail. I was going back and forth. We had a GPS map. So everything should have been easy. And where the map told me I was and the trail was, there just wasn't any trail. And then I thought I saw an opening, followed it, and um, I just got stuck in thick bush. 
And then they had the strategy of if you if you go ninety degrees angled to uh, off the track, so just try to cross the track. Sooner or later, you have to to cross the track. I mean, that was the logic. And I I, I tried that strategy, but it didn't work out. Uh, it couldn't work out because what I didn't know at the time was the map was wrong. So I was looking absolutely in the wrong area. So like four hundred meters off the off the real track, it was just the map was wrong. And uh, I got so stuck uh, in thick bush where I knew there would be snakes in there. Couldn't see. Uh, I got scratches. Uh, I was a bit obviously frustrated. It was dark. Uh, the moon hadn't yet come out and decided to just stand still. Conversation with one of my coaching clients came to mind where because I'm, I'm also an executive coach where I'm, I'm coaching mindset. And he had compared his his area of expertise was um, in in his free time was swimming, and so he he somehow had given me that piece of wisdom saying, well, most people who drown in swimming drown because they panic, not because they are exerted. So I thought, okay, we're here now in a survival situation. It's not about drowning, but let's not panic. Just stand still. Don't move, Kai. Um, use the SOS button of our emergency beacon. So that's a satellite beacon that went to the US, a signal the US called the race director and, and he sent out a search uh, search group to, to find and rescue me, which I obviously just had to wait and, and hope everything would play out. And so I was there for two hours in the in the thickest bush waiting and eventually got rescued. Yeah, it's a it's a remarkable situation. I think when you get lost in an ultra, like a, you know, you and I were previously talking before we aired the show about a, a race that not as long, not nearly as long. I got lost in with a um, particular runner, Tom, and what was remarkable was his attitude when we got lost versus kind of mine. I got quite pissed off and, and a bit negative, and he was really agile in terms of how he managed the fact that we were lost. And whilst I knew that was probably the right mentality to adopt, I kind of dove into, you know, the the drama that was playing in, in my own mind around being lost. And I, I found that really drained a lot of energy. And I think that that is applicable to life as well, right? Like when we're in situations where we may not know our course of action or the right way, we exert all this energy and we can quickly become depleted. And I think ultra teaches that, doesn't it? It really teaches Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it is. it really is about reframing and dealing with what is. So I've been in meditating now for more than 10 years, and that absolutely has helped me in this particular situation because I could somehow see my frustration, but I didn't get absorbed by it. So it was, it was like I was on the balcony seeing myself of this is what is happening and still could could form those relatively clear thoughts and and informed decisions but at the same time it is it is still draining so i got out of that uh, that bush and it was remarkable to see how much my 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 mind must have seen that as a survival situation because when the search group was coming to rescue me there was there was a guy who who reached me first he was 100 meters away and because the the bush was so thick he was talking to me for 45 minutes until he could wow. traverse those 100 meters. So I really had done it properly of getting wow. stuck there. So he'd been talking to me for 45 minutes, just uh, asking me whether I was safe. And I just I just talked to him. And then obviously I couldn't see him because it was dark, but he was approaching. And then 
when I could suddenly see him in front of me, I recognized that it was my coach from Sydney. So Im- imagine you're, you're talking to somebody you know intimately now for, I know him since 2014, and he has a very particular Australian accent. I would recognize him any day of the week. And for 45 minutes, it was like completely irrelevant who was talking to me and my my voice recognition just did not kick in mm-hmm. at all. So that, that's the kind of where the energy suddenly goes. It's like the only thing which matters is get out of here, whoever actually yeah. helps me. I'm going to talk to you, you know, particularly because I'm interested in ultra. I'm an ultra runner as well. And I will go into some of the technicals just out of curiosity, but also because I know that there will be a lot of lessons for the audience. So moving from a distance, let's say, of a 100 miler, to beyond to 200 mile to you know or 260k like what are the athletic challenges and kind of psychological challenges that exist once you start to go beyond a hundred miler you see i've to i've to smile i somewhat can't even answer this question which uh, i I i think i can answer the question behind it um and i can't answer the question because i've never done 100 miles so i I went straight from the longest race had been 100 kilometers. And then I went to the 24-hour format. Right. Uh, and in my first race, I think I did 212. So I went straight from 100 to 212. And then from there, I went to 350. So I skipped a few steps. And then I still haven't run a single 100 Why did you skip, Kai? Why did you skip the 100 miler? That's interesting. It was just never a 100 miler which really excited right. me or really interested me. And I mean, there are exciting 100 milers out there, but it's somehow, I don't know. It, it just, um, the 24-hour format was uh, was very appealing to mm-hmm. me. And then I, I somewhat got, um, got trapped by the 24-hour format. So I've done a few of those. And uh, and went uh, went with the Australian team to the World Championships, so that explains how I got trapped there in a positive. Do you know way. Stephen Redfern? Yeah, we went to the World Champs together. Yeah, he's been on my show. We're actually re-recording because we had some audio issues. So when he gets back from Barclay, we're re-recording. So I didn't know you guys were on the same team. There you go. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Right. So it's 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 been a pleasure meeting all these yeah. guys, absolute legends um, in this sport. And I was, re- I wanted to do coast, coast to Cozy was always on my, on my mind. And, and then I'd qualified for the race, which then got canceled, um, several years ago. And then it was off the, off the calendar for a while. And that's how I somehow then ended up in, in, in the 200 mile format. Because, um, from coast to Cozy, as I'd trained for 240 kilometers, I didn't feel like going backwards to 160. Not arrogant here in terms of going backwards. 160 is, Every race in itself is a, has its own merit. It's like a half marathon is no worse than a marathon. But when you're trained for a marathon, it's actually not easy doing a good half marathon, mm-hmm. particularly because it's just a different kind of training. So, but to answer your question in terms of what do you need, I actually don't think you need much more physical for those kind of races. It's not like you need a certain fitness for a hundred mile and need double the fitness for a two hundred mile. I mean that fitness probably doesn't even exist. It's probably more being very comfortable of walk, uh, just to walk. Yeah. So I th- I think walking is an important one. Slowing down. Because- a bit slowing down mm. in a 200 mile. I mean, even in a hundred mile, most people 
will walk at times, mm-hmm. uh, and even if it's the uphills, mm-hmm. it's uh, it it takes quite an athlete to not walk at all in those kind of distances. And walking uses different muscles. Um, I mean, this morning I've been for for walk, and I sometimes can feel it the day after. It's just the glutes are like on fire, and you've you've just walked, and then you say, well, if that happens in training, how do you want to to tackle a race where you might walk? hours and hours and you're not trained for it so that's the kind of fitness you need it's it's not you have to be fitter you just have to be more adapted to what is actually coming up in that race and then it's more the mental side you really need you know with that when i was living in the central coast of new south wales i would run with the running group sometimes and melissa robertson was part of that group and she she won delirious uh, for the women's leg and i just would kind of see how she would move and she was just very steady and very strong. Like we would run 30 or 40K. She obviously wouldn't come in front, but that wasn't her gig. And I remember once someone asked her if she was going to run the 100K Blue Mountains. And she's like, no, nah, it's not my thing. And I think it's just, it's, it's different. I think, you know, to your point, like I think there's more strategy. I think the athletes are less likely to prevail in that sense, like the traditional athletes where, you know, you start to get to the shorter distances particularly with the young kids coming in now, they're just fast and they can hold pace. Like, you know, your 50K distances and shorter distances, 50 milers. That's really, that's really interesting. So I'd like to dive into your history a little bit. So from what I understand, you were at McKinsey's for some time doing some work there. What what were you doing there and how did you end up there? Yeah, so originally I'm from Germany mm-hmm. and uh, always like living abroad summer. So I went to school in Scotland for a year. I did a PhD in in Spain and got in, got, in, got into McKinsey after after that PhD as a first proper job. And worked there for six years. So I went through the ranks up to associate principal and I became a pricing specialist there. Mm-hmm. So a consultant focusing on, on pricing, making, making really pricing, uh, supporting stri- pricing strategies of consumer goods companies, of priced cars, uh, priced trucks, uh, priced, uh, uh, bathroom equipment. So I, I priced quite a lot of things and uh, doing that between Europe and, and Tokyo somehow. Um, really enjoyed it. Yet the, the kind of lifestyle was not long term what I really was after. So uh, at one point in time, I had a project in Tokyo and simultaneously another project in in Paris. So it was easily a six-day week with uh, spending an entire day on planes in between with jet lag. And while it, while it was fun and somehow special mm. and, and great, it's not the kind of lifestyle I really wanted. So um, I, I, I left there after six years, came to Australia, worked for uh, first for code supermarkets. Uh, then I left, wanted to do what I'm doing now, wasn't really prepared Got an, got an offer I couldn't refuse from Woolies. Also doing doing uh, their pricing uh, strategy there. So uh, as we remember, I joined Codes shortly after they dropped milk on Down Down in 2011. Right. And then from there, it was history. Like uh, in the media, it was called the price war. And uh, that's the kind of stuff I, I've been... Um, I've been working on the background. So very exciting stuff. In terms of your time at McKinsey, I mean, many would look at McKinsey as, you know, a top firm. They are, right? In terms of think tank and and methodologies. And like, what are some of the takeaways from McKinsey in terms of things that developed you as an individual, as a business person? Like, what were some of the things that were unique to, let's say, McKinsey now that you were, you know, you have the time 
to reflect upon that? Like what were some of the learnings there for you? I think I really learned how to manage myself there. So just in terms of the, the high expectations, uh, which constantly are growing uh, with your career, it's, I think it's essential to really manage yourself well. And without that kind of managing myself well, I would never have come to the kind of running heights I was at while being a senior leader at uh, at Codes or at Woolworths. So I just carved out time and, and I just knew it's still possible. It's not like everybody says I don't have time to run, whereas I knew, well, I don't have time not to run and it's possible. <laughs> That's it, um, mate. Yeah. So, so managing myself, definitely a key thing. And then I think the second big thing is problem solving. So uh, when, uh, and that's something I really learned, you learn early on as a, as a consultant there of just whatever problem is thrown at you, there is an answer to it and you can somewhat work through it. And you might have no clue to start off with, and then you just work through a process and in the end come come to some sort of conclusion which which helps you and that obviously again uh that kind of whether it's self-belief agility that uh and and process to get to something helps you in in very tricky situations mm. when did you start running so i was i always loved running mm. um i was little kid i think my first race i was uh seven years old and it was a one kilometer race which was a long distance race at the time so uh that was my first race then it it really picked up uh very late in high school of being part of the cross country team and then did my first marathon um in nineteen ninety eight which was my last year of high school stuck to marathons. For 16 years and oh. and towards the end it was it was a bit draining it was I loved running and uh, after 16 years it just all became about the next personal best and that that was just stressful everything had to be perfect uh, I was uh, the week leading into the race my biggest concerns was the, was the weather the wind uh, the profile of the course mm. so it was all about the external conditions and and just how could it be perfect? That really, I lost a bit of fun there. Then I got into ultras, and that was a completely different world. What, what, when was what was your first ultra? The first one I signed up for uh, was was it so from marathons on the road to forty two kilometers. I went to Big Red Run two hundred fifty kilometers uh, stage race. So each each stage most of them were a marathon but back to back to yeah. back and then on day five you run you ran a a double marathon 84 kilometers and that was scary how would i ever be capable of running 84 kilometers after having run several marathons the day the days before how did ultra start to inform you on a deeper level to the extent that you decided to take what you were learning in ultra and then apply it to I guess, what is your new direction as a coach? Yeah. So I had that sense early on in marathons um, that there is somewhat more than just that kind of outer journey, just the kind of the the result. I had that sense and then I lost it over those 16 years because it all became about the, uh, the personal best. In ultra, it was different. So just jumping into a 250-kilometer race, I just knew, to your earlier question, I just knew it's not really about the fitness. Yes, you have to have fitness. You, you have to be fit to, to, to start such a race. But in the end, whatever fitness level you're at, 
it's really it's just the beginning and it's about um whatever the race throws at you it will be unknown territory it's that kind of a kind of mental agility what i would call the inner journey and and therefore all these races and probably skipping the 100 mile it has just been part of being on an inner journey where i say i'm racing races because i, I love racing but in the end it's not really about the race itself it's about whatever i learn on the way and some races, um, which are then they catch me out, and while I say it's about learning what's on, along the way, and then it's it's a disappointing race, then I I have to be honest and say, well, may, may, maybe the race has become a bit more important to me than I would would have liked it to be. But coming back to the Delirious West, where uh, I got stuck in a in a in a great position, so I was in a great position, got stuck, and. After that, I did another four hours of running, but I did pull out after 137 kilometers. And I was next morning, I was almost elated, although I had uh, outwardly absolutely failed. I mean, I didn't didn't finish the race, and it was only the second race in my life which I hadn't finished. It's I had gotten what I'd come for, and that was the, a, a, an experience which you just can't buy. That kind of um, that kind of survival experience, which mm. I wouldn't wish on anybody, but if you're in it, there, there's something magical yeah. about it of just getting mm. through it and experiencing it, and um, and and that's what that's what ultra running is really about for me. It's it's immersing myself into an adventure, and an adventure sometimes it spits you out mm. on the other end, and you might not even have finished it, but there's something else which mm. you've gained. In many ways, if your primary purpose is learning, delirious race probably provided you more learnings than if you had finished it if you think about it right absolutely and that doesn't mean that i so i certainly would hope that i'll finish the next yeah. race and there are good chances as well mm -hmm. so my track record of not finishing it it's pretty good so far but you're right it's it's you also really feel afterwards whether you're satisfied or not and it's the first time i have to say that it's the first time when outwardly pretty shocking result or no result was still very satisfying, and that showed me that I'm somewhat on the mm. right on the right journey. Because if it's if it's all about if it's just about the result, it's very external and it's it 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 can be very draining again over time. Yeah, and plus, if it's always about the result, you're particularly for people like us, the bar will always be increasing, <laughs> and and yeah. and that the reality is like what where where and what's enough, right? Like, and if you kind of focus on that external piece, so. At, at what point did you realize that all this gold that you were mining in Ultra could be leveraged into coaching? Like, was that intentional or did that like just come to you? It it just came to me. I had that sense after Big Red Run. So my very first, well, it wasn't my, technically it wasn't my first Ultra. It was the first one I'd signed up for. And then in preparation of that, I did a, a couple of others. I'd been training for that race for six months. Did not know even if I would finish it and smashed the race record by more than five hours there. Mm. And I just it it again it wasn't the it wasn't the result. It was the kind of being in flow, being in a completely different state of mind. And there there was some magic coming out of yeah. it. And and then it took several more years plus um learning about executive coaching as well of um noticing that the principles are pretty much the same of um where can we put our consciousness in a way and and applying that into business so bringing it all together was 
was a journey for me of saying, okay, I've got a consultant background, I've got in a corporate um, corporate leadership background. I I am um, I'm running at an elite level, and uh, and yes, I needed to learn something about um, about the art of coaching itself and bring it all together. And somehow it makes sense now. And so with the coaching that you're doing, is it individual based? Is it team based? And how, like, given it's ultra, like, do your clients tend to be into fitness or is it applicable for people that may not be fit or healthy at all? Doing three things. Um, um, yes, I do one-on-one coaching. So uh, with individual, it's mostly, uh, it's mostly people in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Um, with the aim of unlocking another level. And by unlocking another level, I don't mean it needs to be uh, hierarchically. It can it can also be reducing stress levels. It, it can be unlocking di- uh, difficult, um, difficult challenges. So there is the one-on-one part. There is the high-performing p- team aspect of leadership teams. How do they, how do they um, just gel better together? And yes, I also do um, keynote speaking like for broader audiences. In terms of um, of their fitness level, no, they don't need to be fit. Some some are fit and get drawn to me because of some are a similar background, but uh, but others just completely understand that it's it is not about running. It's not about sport at all. It doesn't even. I mean, it doesn't have to be another sport, as I mentioned before. In one client, mm-hmm. he's he's a swimmer, yes, so he's somewhat fit as well, and he can somehow relate to to the sporting side. But uh, some others don't don't do any sport at all, and just understand that. Uh, I mean, when we watch the Olympics, we understand that uh, we might not be Olympians, but there there are some principles in there of those athletes which are applicable in business as well. And uh, it's it's more of how do we deal with our biggest challenges and under pressure. That's probably the key point. How do we perform under pressure? Here at Ultra Habits, we talk about the executive athlete and kind of the benefit of approaching our work with an athlete's mindset. I, I think that's just, just generally a massive competitive advantage when we look to optimize our way of operating internally, externally. So, yeah, I, I, I resonate. I resonate with that, Kai. So. In terms of what's next, in terms of the running and the races, what have you got planned? So in a few weeks, I'm, uh, I hope to redeem myself on the 200 milers. So I'm running uh, Irrational South. So there's a theme, as you can hear, from un- uh, sorry, from Delirious going to Irrational. Uh, that is a 200 miler in, in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia. So very different terrain and uh, looking forward to to tackling that i've heard anecdotally that there are less bushes you can get trapped right. in and and i just hope that the maps are a bit more accurate but i'll uh, i'll keep my eyes open there delirious is in the summer right it was yes, hard so it's february yeah and so this will be a bit colder what will the elevation be different to perth or similar it's it's probably similar mm. i actually um, shame on me. I actually don't exactly know how much elevation mm. there is in there. So over two hundred miles, it just accumulates. So I don't know whether it's six thousand. It will definitely be more than six thousand, which is not that much over two hundred miles. It might be eight thousand or ten thousand. I actually just don't know. And I like elevation anyway. So whenever there's a hill, there's a good excuse to walk it up and then see whether I'm still capable of uh, charging of down. It down. Ridiculous, Jorne. Do you? In terms of 
just terrain across Australia, what would be the most difficult terrain you've ever run across if you were to kind of just look at not the distance, but more so the terrain? I personally am not particularly good at highly technical trail. So wherever it gets really technical, it's people just really rush past me. Um, so uh, the, the kind of ankle, mm-hmm. uh, ankle twisting uh, boulders and rocks and pebbles and I, I'm, I'm, that's, it's not my forty, and it's, it's where, where I can get frustrated. I'm, I'm, I'm still seeking it out to just mm. get slightly better, but I know I will never be amazing at it. And if, if it goes downhill with some technical, I'm just, yeah. I'm a little bit too scared. Yeah. It, it's interesting because you are European, but you were running single trail when you lived in Germany, where you're running road marathons and stuff like that. Correct. So. Right. So trail is relatively yeah, new to me. Yeah. Europeans tend to be good on the technicals. In fact, uh, it, it's probably short distance for you, but they are doing the first ultra in the Grampians, which is about a hundred miler, which is supposed to be very technical. It's supposed to be like Leadville in Colorado, very, very kind of, you know, uh, gravel rocks slipping under your feet and it's just supposed to be gnarly i don't know if you've ever hiked out there yeah i can imagine that it's technical so i've i've done some hikes yeah uh, and i think i've hiked parts of uh is it the one uh um, yans or yeah there, there is no there there is another uh trail race uh out there in the grampians much shorter 20 to 30 kilometers away or, or maybe up to 60 uh where i've, I've hiked parts of that yeah and, um and it is technical. I can absolutely imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's, it's interesting what people uh, struggle to kind of do and what others prefer. And I think we all have, I mean, the thing about technical trails, which I don't like is how it slows you down. It kind of really messes with your rhythm. It's hard to get a rhythm when you're, and then when you're tired, you know, you're kind of falling over, you're kicking roots and, uh, you know, so it gets, it gets a bit, it gets a bit messy. So yeah, so look, I I think we'll start to to land the plane, Kai. I I really um have appreciated the time on on the show here talking to you. But before we start to land the plane, I want to talk about your book. So turning right, what's what can we expect? Uh, you know, when we we read the book or, or listen to the audible. So the the book um is designed to take the reader onto their inner journey. Mm. So it's really it is an easy read. It, it is it summarizes my own journey, but it is not about me. And it's uh, it's really uh, so you would find that every at every chapter at chapter at the end of it, there are chicken question reflection questions of how is this applicable to you. So um, what you said beforehand of do you have to be a runner? No, you don't have to be a runner. It's it's really helping you translate of how these trail experiences, ra- racing experiences, even corporate experiences. How they how do they translate into your life? Where where do you find your purpose? Uh, wh- what is working for you? What is what's time to really um, to to shift gears and and try something new to explore? Yeah, that's that's the objective of the book, and uh, very proud to say that it has received uh, three book awards. Um, people in general um, seem to like it, which is always nice to to hear as an author. Yeah, it's my next audible. Uh, right now, I'm listening to a, a friend of mine's uh, her book, and and when I'm done with that, I'm going to be checking yours out. So, I do uh, recommend it to the audience. Uh, most people that watch or listen to our show are kind of fans of athletic pursuits, and and so they will definitely appreciate it. We always ask our guests kind of questions about habits before we let them off the hook, before we let them go. 
what are some of the habits, maybe one or two or three or whatever, however, you know, you, you want to share with us that you would impart to our audience that you learned through the world of ultra? The first one which comes to mind is a feeling of we have a plan of what we want to do. So, for example, we want to go for a run. And then there are lots of reasons why we don't really want to go for a run. It's raining, it's cold, it's dark, it's I can't be bothered. And one habit I have, so if that sounds familiar, and I'm, I'm sure it might to one or the other person on this podcast, if that sounds familiar, the one habit I have is never to not go out. So when I when I don't feel like going out, I never cancel the run, but I somehow lower the threshold of what is okay. So I'm I'm basically the deal I then have with myself is saying go out for ten minutes, just have an open mind ten minutes, and if it's as horrible as it feels right now, it's okay to come back home. But I have to experience it myself. And if after 10 minutes, it's just the wrong day, I would come home. It very barely happens, very rarely happens that I actually turn around because in 10 minutes, everything shifts Mm -hmm. and it's actually not that bad and I'm enjoying it Mm -hmm. and I'm staying out there for way longer. But I've noticed that is, it's a, it's a very simple trick or habit to, to just not cancel everything, but by lowering the entry, uh, entry threshold. Yeah. That's a great, uh, way of gaming our uh our psychology isn't it yeah yeah so that's that's one thing the i'm just thinking is it a habit probably i've made a habit out of it is so when i'm when i'm signing up for races i'm really asking myself what the success criteria are for that race and the obvious one so the first everybody knows well i need to be fit i'm I'm signing up for 100, 200, 300 kilometers, it might be, it might be a five kilometer race. And yes, I need to be fit. So everybody has that on their mind. But then what do you really need? And in terms of fitness, there are, there are more specific things. So for this race, I need to have more, I need to have some downhill running. Do I need to have, um, off, off road trail or do I need to have more track? Do I need to have, uh, sand? What do I need? And then beyond the fitness, really asking those questions. What do we need beyond the fit- fitness? Um, and the longer the race is, definitely there's more mental, m- mental, um, agility and, and just being able to, to deal with sleep deprivation, to deal with night running. Um, so which, which has nothing to do with the fitness itself. It's just being like, what do we know will somehow be very likely trying to throw us? Can we prepare for it to then have enough capacity to deal with whatever really throws us? And I definitely think you can habituate that. That's a preparedness and really kind of living in reality, right? Because a lot of people, particularly when they sign up for events, they're kind of in a non-reality. You can see the way they they, they do their training and in ways that they approach their day. So that that's brilliant, Kai. I really appreciate that, uh, that uh, insight into the habits. Where can our audience learn more about you? So you'll find me on um uh, on my my homepage which is turningright.com there you'll find uh, more information about myself my book what I do you can get in contact with me so uh email address would be kai at turningright.com but it's also on the on on the website uh you find me on on LinkedIn I'm I'm probably most active there I'm also on 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 Facebook if you want to follow me there so the typical the typical channels. All right, Kai, thank you so much. You have a great day, yeah? Thank you so much.